Please be seated. Good morning again and happy Juneteenth weekend and happy Father's Day. Now, as I noticed earlier, as I mentioned earlier, you'll notice a few changes in our service this morning, not least of which is our new curate, Brandon Haynes, started a couple of weeks early. Uh, he was hanging around the office and I thought we might as well put him on the payroll. So welcome, Brandon. Uh, I can tell you all that he's already hit the ground running, so we're very blessed. The second change requires a little more of an explanation, so bear with me. On Thursday night, just before 7 p.m., Brandon and I pulled into the parking lot out here next to the church, and I looked with pride at the number of cars that were parked there. I could tell without even coming inside that the church was once again bustling with activity. There was the inaugural meeting of the Columbarium Committee. Servant leadership folks were gathered together. And Joe Orne's Bible Quest was, were gathered in another room. After two long years in exile, it felt like St. Peter's was back. My joy turned to horror just over an hour later when a text told me about yet another horrific shooting, this one at an Episcopal church, St. Stephen's, in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, just outside of Birmingham. And that church, also bustling with activity on a Thursday night, saw three of its pillars taken out by a crazed-looking wild man. Now, two of the clergy at St. Stephen's were classmates of mine in seminary. Catherine Harper was a year ahead of me, and Becky Watts a year behind me. While I was relieved they weren't among the victims, my heart goes out to them, as they navigate this difficult, difficult time, especially today. And I wonder, what if some modern-day version of Luke's Gerasene demoniac had shown up here at St. Peter's last Thursday night? This man racked with a legion of demons, voices in his head too many to count, not locked down by shackles and chains, but worse, forgotten, ignored, and carrying a gun. How would we gather here knowing a gaping hole had been forever opened on this site, in our church, and also in our hearts? I imagine that's what Catherine and Becky and the other clergy, Ron and John, and all the congregation at St. Stephen's are facing this Sunday morning. So the second change you'll note is we've replaced this morning prayers of the people with a liturgy that's called a Lament for a Culture of Gun Violence and was provided by the Episcopal Bishops United Against Gun Violence. It's a small act of solidarity with our sister church in this moment of pain and a reminder that we are all, sadly, complicit. You see, we are swimming in a culture of gun violence. The past months have reminded us of that almost daily, it seems. Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, Baltimore, California, Philadelphia, and now Alabama. And the way I see it, we can do a variation of one of two things. And today's gospel with the garrison demoniac and the people of the town give us a glimpse of these two paths, what they might look like. And as Christians, followers of this Jesus fellow that is featured in today's reading and every Sunday, we're spiritually touched as they were physically touched by Christ in our baptism and in our service. 
So we can be like the swine herds and the townspeople and be seized with great fear. In the gospel, their fear drives them to urge Jesus to go away, just go. You see, he's shaken the social order. He's calmed the crazed man and seemingly made the herd of swine jump to their deaths. In our case, here, we could barricade ourselves behind bulletproof doors, install expensive security systems, and put armed guards at the door even. That would be a way for us to be seized with great fear. And I'll be honest, in the aftermath of Thursday night, my initial instinct was to do just that. The garrison man following his encounter with Jesus, though, shows us a different path. We find him following years of demonic torture, finally at peace at Jesus' feet. He's calm, and that unnerves the townspeople even more. This story is often told as an example of Jesus' healing, but I think it's more about a kind of restoration, a restoration of identity, the restoration of the garrison man's identity. Far from having committed unredeemable sins and being an unchangeable aspect of his character, the garrison man is returned to his true self through his touch with Jesus. So much so that he asked to go along Jesus' journey with him. And why wouldn't he? So powerful is that feeling of peace after so much pain that it'd be foolish to want it to go away. But Jesus gives him his work. He's to stay behind and declare how much God has done for you amongst his fellow Gerasene. Now, medieval mystic and theologian Julian of Norwich, who's also a favorite of us here at St. Peter's, saw Christ's redemptive power over, over evil and said, Every wound and sorrow inflicted by wickedness would, in Christ, become a source of honor and glory as it was healed. Every wound and sorrow inflicted by wickedness would, in Christ, become a source of honor and glory as it was healed. Now, there's no doubt wickedness was at work at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church on Thursday night. Those three victims and the hundreds of others damaged by that wickedness, that evil, will wear those wounds as as, as badges of honor and glory because they, like us, are in Christ. See, there's something incredibly powerful about being in Christ. We hear it in Paul's letter to the Galatians, where being in Christ changes pretty much everything. Our old identities, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, aren't erased, but are instead superseded by this new identity in Christ. On Friday, the day before yesterday, I received an email from a couple interested in learning more about our church. Among several other questions, they asked what my favorite Bible verse was and why. And maybe because I was working on this sermon, but my gut instinct, my gut response was Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew nor Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. To me, that just speaks to who we are. So that was what I was able to say pretty quickly, but as I thought about it, the why that verse is my favorite gets a little more complicated. Now, as I think you, many of you know, I'm helping relaunch Camp Mitchell, our very own Episcopal camp that's up on Pettigene Mountain. 
as a part of my diocesan work. And a few weeks ago, I got a letter from a concerned parent interested in sending her child to Camp Mitchell. She had seen a Facebook post supporting something or other LGBT-related and was worried that we had foist what she called our transgenderism on her unsuspecting child. And she loosely recited Genesis and wrote something like, in the Bible, God created man and woman. You believe in the Bible, don't you? Now that last bit, I got my hackles up, questioning my belief in the Bible. And, and I started to angri- angrily write to her something about, something along the lines of, well, I seem to recall that Paul saying something about there no longer being male or female in Christ Jesus in Galatians. So why are you being so reductive about gender? It doesn't really matter, does it? I started to send the reply feeling confident in my biblical sleight of hand and proud of my defense of my support for all God's children, especially our transgender brothers and sisters. But then I stopped. See, I realized if I send this reply, I'd be driving an even deeper wedge between me and this woman and her child. And far from winning, we'd all lose. Her child wouldn't go to camp. I would have burned that bridge forever. Camp Mitchell wouldn't have seen that child's smiling face. And I thought, maybe that's the new thing that's being created in Christ Jesus. It's not a new identity, but a new unity together, combining us into something greater. We don't lose what makes us distinct, just gain a new, more Christ-centered unity. A unity that rises above our petty and not-so-petty differences. I told the interested couple, or I wrote to the interested couple, that Galatians 3.28 was my favorite verse because it forces me to put myself on the crucible of Christ Jesus. I have to remember that the gospel, the good news, isn't just about me and me alone and what I think God's saying in it and what I think God means. It's about us. It always breaks me and keeps me humble. I am forced to look for our shared identity even if I can't stand the person I'm engaged with. Even if we share different perspectives, politics, ideas, and belief, we are one. We are the new thing in Christ Jesus. The crucible of Christ Jesus makes me see my unity with that parent scared of transgenderism. Not because I agree with her, but because there are things in the world that frighten me and make me want to shut down or write a nasty letter. See, I am like her. I am her, united in Christ Jesus. In the gospel, the garrison man's identity was restored when he was touched by Christ, when he went through the crucible of Christ. He's no longer defined by his vices, ticks, and evils, and demons. He was made whole again through his touch with Jesus. On the other hand, his countrymen resisted a new identity in Christ Jesus and let fear prevent them from fully being themselves, preventing them from fully being realized in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, like many of you, I imagine, I spent hours watching reports on the shootings in Alabama, something about it being an Episcopal church, about knowing the clergy personally. It all made it feel especially close, very much a there-but-for-the-grace-of-God-go-I sensation. 
I saw a picture of the shooter, a 70-year-old man who had been to one or two services before, went only by Mr. Smith, not his real name, maybe one of the demon's names. At the potluck where the shooting took place, he had been first invited by one man to join a table with some of the church regulars, and another congregant offered to fix him a plate of food. He rejected both. His picture shows a man with wild hair, an unkempt beard, weathered face, and one large, bloody black eye. It could be an image, I thought, of the garrison demoniac from today's gospel, riddled by demons. And it makes me so proud that the last actions, before chaos broke out, those last actions were invitations, were acts of Christian generosity. Come, join us at the table. Can I fix you a plate? The folks of St. Stephen's first instinct was to welcome the stranger. It's something I'd like to think, no, I am sure we share here at St. Peter's. I'm convinced the three victims of the shooting are right now as we speak, and as Julian of Norwich puts it, wearing the wounds and sorrows of wickedness as badges of honor and glory. And I pray the entire congregation feels the warmth of Christ Jesus as they face their own crucible this morning, this crucible of pain and suffering. See, today I think we choose the path that isn't marked by fear. Like the garrison man, we go forth, touched by the love of Jesus, into a world that's marked by fearful countrymen and women. We go forth as new beings, united by something so much greater than our differences. And like the garrison man, we follow Jesus' orders. Go home and declare how much God has done for you. That this morning, brothers and sisters, is our work to do. Amen.